civilization class infrastructure. Just let that sink in for a moment. Hi, I'm Scott Smith for ThinkCast. And right now you're either thinking, what the heck? Or, I've got the scale for civilization now? Well, yes, you do. So what does that really mean? Well, that's why we've got Gardner analyst Jorge Lopez with us right now. Jorge, welcome. So let's get right to it. What is civilization class infrastructure? Yes, uh, it is meant to be quite distinctive, and it talks about how what happens when the digital world connects to the rapidly connecting world of critical infrastructure. And when we talk about critical infrastructure, we're talking about roads and bridges, essentially um, pipes, uh, sewers, uh, any way you can get around or connect, move around uh, that exists today. And the change is that everything that you see around you is going to have some mode of connection and even some amount of intelligence that will be then tapped into by the virtual world. And the additional piece is that there will be new features in the virtual world that become embedded into this infrastructure. For example, if you're going to do search, why not just use Google? If you're going to use social media, you could use Facebook, you could use Instagram. There are a number of different choices there. But the point is, this is going to start to converge, and there are going to be some long-term winners that are going to be the standards that are embedded in this for civilization. And the key to this is that uh, by the time we get to 2030, there will be over 100 billion things connected to the Internet. And, you know, figure that there will be less than 10 billion humans. So humans, I think, are going to be about 8% of the total of things and people at that time. And if you're in a world where you're literally swimming in things, you have to rethink the way that you live and the way that you work, is essentially, because now things you would not have even imagined are going to be going around. An example would be, you know, the right front tire of your car decides to spring a leak, and it will, in fact, tell you on your dashboard that you've got a problem for the driver. But in this newer world, it will automatically go ahead to a service provider, maybe your dealer, and say, here's a tire. It's not going to be patchable. Bring the new tire. Here's the Visa car to charge it to. We'll meet you at the Target parking lot a quarter mile down the road. And that's just a, a very different way of living. So we talk about civilization and infrastructure. We also talk about the idea that it's a digital society, that the way that you live, the way that you work, is going to change substantially because of these capabilities that you can only dream of right now. So I think when many might first hear that term civilization infrastructure, and even as I said it out loud to you, you gave kind of a little chuckle because it had that yes. kind of grandiose sound. And some might be thinking, well, you know, I'm my organization. I certainly want to grow it, but I'm never going to be a global class. But it does sound like something we're all going to need to pay attention to in some way, shape or form, whether as a provider or a user or, or both. Absolutely, Scott. I think the main point is that uh, you're going to be connected via virtual and physical means to the rest of the world. And the intensity of those connections are going to yield greater values. Your ability to navigate the virtual world and the physical world, and sometimes doing them simultaneously and, and uh, in concert with each other, is going to determine, say, what kind of work will I do? What kind of money will I make? What is the value of what I'm doing? And as we take this forward, it becomes very interesting to see how 
In fact, new opportunities emerge that we wouldn't have been able to think about in the past. So to your point, the idea of civilization infrastructure sounds almost intergalactic in, in scale. I mean, but the main point is that it, it's going to affect everyone individually. You're going, to, you're going to be able to connect into an entire world of opportunities and capabilities that uh, were not available to you, say, five years ago. Now, earlier you'd mentioned, for instance, Google and search, and certainly it's become so ubiquitous we've in many ways made Google the word for search. I'm yes. Googling something. That's right. That's right. And, and yet in the research you even say that current digital giants like Google, Amazon, Facebook, Alibaba will not necessarily be dominant in this new environment. Why is that? The uh, answer is actually quite simple. The capabilities and the skills required to succeed in a digital world are not necessarily the same ones in a physical world. So in a digital world, you don't have to worry about cutting your finger or, <laughs> you know, whether or not you drop something and it breaks or maybe you just bought something that, that had a defective motor and it doesn't work. You have to go put in a, one that actually works. Uh, in the software world, essentially everything works unless it doesn't. And if you don't, just go do a quick few patches and, and you're moving forward on it. I'm, I'm oversimplifying really to, to effect in that a Wall Street Journal article just in the past week talked about the difficulties, say, of Google trying to get into the physical world. And their conclusion is one that anyone who's worked in the physical world would be able to tell you is that if you don't understand what it takes to engineer physical things, you're not going to be very good at it, even if you can do all the software things. And when you look at Amazon, Amazon, by the way, is probably a, a bit of an exception to the rule because they concluded not too long ago, but within the past uh, two or three years, that in order to succeed in the, in the digital world, they had to succeed in the physical world. And so here you go thinking Amazon is a purely digital company, just taking orders and processing, but no, they're actually now enacting quite sophisticated delivery mechanisms to get you something like with Amazon now says, I can get something within an hour. And in human history, there simply is no parallel to that just yet. And we're even hearing some stories that instead of an hour, in some cases, is 15 minutes. So well, what kind of world is that, right, where you, where you can get things on demand so quickly? And it's not going to stop at the highly populated uh, centers. It's going to spread into areas that are, say, in suburbs and all. So I think that our understanding then of what the digital giants, we call them, can do is limited by their own culture, their software cultures. They're not yet integrated cultures between the two. Amazon is an exception. Another exception, coming from a different direction, would be GE. They've uh, invested heavily in software. And it turns out many of the disciplines to develop physical things are actually quite useful in software. And so I think that that almost gives an unfair advantage uh, from that perspective. But we're, we're not yet done. You know, these, these battles are not yet done. But at the same time, it's clear that if Google wants to be uh, and make a serious presence of themselves in the physical world, they're going to have to change their culture. Our guest right now is Gardner analyst Jorge Lopez, and we're talking about civilization infrastructure and how you'll need to scale up for it. Fear not, this is actually more manageable than it might sound on the surface. <laughs> but that said, uh, one of the things that Gardner has talked a lot about in the past couple of years is what we call the algorithmic economy, showing the importance and the rise of algorithms and everything we do. Um, that's certainly one of the four uh, domains you've laid out here. So what impact will alg algorithms have on this civilization class infrastructure? 
the algorithms are essentially the engines uh, for this the future that we're painting and will be how decisions are made, how orders are processed, how values delivered and ex- exchange. The um, additional piece that goes with algorithms is what does it do, what is it capable of? We'll see, for example, artificial intelligence will be a huge part of what it develops with algorithms. So today it's very, very simple because it kind of needs to be, but at the same time, it's going to keep growing and growing as designers realize, wow, <clears throat> I have a lot more capability than I thought I had. And start putting more things, and, and already we, we know that there are, uh, say, robots that mimic uh, human emotions, and it's not that we're saying that uh, that is going to happen anytime in the next five or ten years on Moss, but there's a possibility we'll start to see elements of that go that will greatly improve our, our lives. So algorithms become a huge part of value going forward. And you may well see that uh, your ability to brand or trademark a particular algorithm may become a a great way to make money. Well, you just can't capture all of civilization in one shot, but we'll have to stop right there. Jorge, thank you. Jorge Lopez leads digital business research at Gartner. You can hear more from him in the Gartner webinars, which you'll find at gartner.com slash webinars. And hear more of what his colleagues have to say in our other ThinkCast discussions at gartner.com slash podcasts. And make sure to subscribe to ThinkCast via iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. And let us know how we're doing by giving us a rating when you're there. I'm Scott Smith. Thanks for listening.